Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Friday. We're going to talk some USC football on a Friday, which is a little different. But today, August 3rd, is the first day of USC Fall Camp 2018. So we wanted to get Dan Weber on to kind of give a little bit of a preview of what we're expecting to see over these next few weeks of Fall Camp. Lots of questions that need to be answered heading into the opener September 1st against UNLV. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or give us a call or text us. The number is 424-254-9141. We got some voicemails today. We got some text messages we need to play for you today. So we'll talk about all of that with Dan Weber, who's on the line right now. What's up, Dan? How are you doing? Doing good. Can't wait to get started this afternoon. Uh, This is... uh... This is what it seems like it's come fairly quickly. It doesn't seem like all that long ago we were in spring uh, spring practice, and, it, and spring didn't seem to you know come that much after the Ohio State game. So uh, this uh, this year's kind of moved uh, quickly. It, it looks like to me. It just has that feeling that we're there sooner than uh, than maybe we uh, we anticipated. Yeah, we talked about that on our live show yesterday. We do we do a show uh, called Tunnel Vision now on Facebook Live and YouTube and Periscope. And it's kind of one of those things where it's here. It's kind of crazy that it's happened. And, you know, having the uh, the the coaches poll come out yesterday, that seemed, makes it feel more real. Of course, Pac-12 Media Day. But I don't know. I, I felt like it was kind of slow for a while, but then it kind of picked up speed. And, and you know, I don't know, maybe it's. It's just my age, but it's getting here faster than you think. But then at sometimes you felt it was kind of slow too. Yeah, I thought it was in. I thought the Pac-12 Media Day was the most understated Pac-12 Media Day that I can ever remember. I mean, there were always it seemed like uh, some kind of a burning issue of, of one or one kind or the other or whatever, and 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 that wasn't the case at Pac-12 Media Day. It was just really matter of fact, you know, down to earth, uh, just, just get going. And, uh, you know, nothing like a, no big deal. No, uh, even with the five new coaches, it just, you know, you didn't have any of that, that sense. It was more like, okay, that's what you do. And then let's, uh, you know, move on. And, uh, and we are, but, uh, you know, I, I, this is an interesting year. I, I just, you know, year three, I think is, is really important for Clay Helton and, and company. Uh, USC has a history. You go back to Howard Jones. If USC has a great coaching staff, they're going to win national championships. And, and uh, you, you know, I don't know which, you know, which comes first, but, uh, if you're a great coach and you're at USC, you're going to win national championships. And if you're not, uh, it can be really, uh, you know, not very special. Uh, and I, I think the one thing we've decided looking at all, you know, all the years is USC is always going to have players and the deciding factor, uh, and that's not, you know, unusual at almost every place. I think the thing that's different at USC has always been you get a great coach at USC, 
he was going to win a national championship or two or whatever, and uh, and we'll see. I mean, I think that's the that's the question, uh, you know, for for Clay Helton and company is, uh, you know, where do they fit on that, uh, you know, range of, uh, you know, coaches at USC, and um, it's uh, something that's evolving. I mean, I don't think we know exactly, you know, where. Clay is going to be able to go, how he's going to be able to evolve. But uh, when you're at a, at a school, there are only a handful, I think, of schools that have the resources, that have the history, that have the ability to recruit great players uh, that can win national championships. Uh, and USC's one of them. They're not back in that you know super elite group yet, but they're never far from it. And uh, when it comes down to, you know, it comes down to the coaching. It certainly does. Couldn't agree with you more. I think a lot of the fans on the Peristyle couldn't agree with you more. And yeah. we'll see what happens this season. It, it could be a wide range of, of results. We just don't know. Before we jump into that, we're going to preview fall camp, answer your questions. I wanted to talk a little bit, little bit about our sponsor, Lisa Beds. They've been great to us uh, this last, you know, six months or so. And it was great. Uh, Chloe, our, our new intern, uh, ended up buying one of the Lisa beds too, using our little discount code, uh, lisa.com slash USC. You get $160 off your Lisa mattress and she needed a new mattress and she did that. It's a quality night's sleep. It will help you recover from distractions faster, prevent burnout, make better decisions, improve your memory, and overall make fewer mistakes. It's not marketing, it's science. To design a better mattress, Lisa leveraged 30 plus years of experience and hundreds of hours of testing to develop the perfect mattress for all body shapes and sleeping styles. Their mission is to provide a better night's sleep for every body. Uh, through their 110 program, they donate one mattress for every 10 they sell, more than 26,000 mattresses and counting. So they strive to leave the world a better place than they found it, and it doesn't stop with the mattress donations. They've teamed up with the Arbor Day Foundation, and they plant one tree for every mattress they sell. And they're committed to planting 1 million trees by 2025. So we love it. it's a very uh, conscious company about the environment and, and keeping the world and making the world a better place. So if you want to get $160 off your Lisa mattress, go to lisa.com, L-E-E-S-A.com slash USC. That's lisa.com slash USC. And uh, Dan, you, you brought up the, you know, the great coach aspect. And if you have a great coach, you're always going to have players. You can win a national championship. I think we both agree this is one of those seasons people ask like, oh, how's the team going to do? I'm like, I mean, I could see them going like 11 and one and, and making the college football playoff, but I could, you know, there's potential to have like a seven and five type of season too. It just seems like there's a, a wide range of, of what this team could do. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with you on the 11 and one. I'm not sure that, that they can drop off quite that far just because of, you know, it's the Pac-12 and, uh, you know, I just think uh, the Pac-12 really needs to find itself. Uh, and, uh, you know, they don't uh, they don't play Washington and Oregon. Uh, not sure that Oregon matters all that much, but uh, I just think it's hard to drop off if you're USC and you drop off to seven and five in the Pac-12. You've really done something something wrong. I mean, it's the, the one reason I think, and more you think about all the things that you're really not happy with, uh, you know, in the Pac-12 in terms of the, you know, scheduling and, uh, you know, late night games and uh, scheduling in ways in which, you know, you really hurt your, uh, 
uh, your good teams. I was I was looking at uh, uh, Pat Forty of Yahoo Sports does a really interesting uh, uh, take of all the schedules in college football. He just kind of you know comes up with things that are interesting, and I think one of the ones I found interesting was that at Auburn uh, has only one plane trip and doesn't go to a state other than ones that are contiguous to Alabama, uh, plays eight home games, uh, and, of course, plays its uh, really tough games uh, are the two of the last three weeks. And they do have to bust to Georgia. They do bust uh, 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 Tuscaloosa for Alabama. But here's the SEC where – you know, a bunch of schools that the Pac-12 schools would look down on and say, hey, they don't have any top 25 academic institutions there. But they've figured out in the SEC how not to play their good teams against one another at the beginning of the season. So those teams are going to stay ranked all year long until well into November. And here the Pac-12, you know, with the you know geniuses, at SEC, you know, at, at, at Stanford and geniuses at USC and all of that, have them playing one another the first game of the conference season. And it's just, it is pretty amazing how, uh, how a conference can do things to hurt itself. Uh, and, uh, you know, you just, uh, you just wish they, they had some more sense of, about how you compete nationally uh, and how you set up your schedule. And they're just clueless. I mean, it's just uh, so. But USC needs to take advantage of that and just say, you know, we're going to use the Pac-12. The one good thing about the Pac-12 is we're going to be able, with our recruiting, USC should be saying to itself, that we're going to be able to get to the, you know, the the final four, uh, the college football playoffs, almost every year. And they that ought to be the expectation at this point. As uh, you know, as you said, uh, you know, go eleven and one, and you really got a shot. Uh, you know, had USC not lost to Washington State last year, again, a self-inflicted, you know, USC self-inflicted its, you know, on itself by accepting the schedule. The Pac-12 self-inflicted that, and then at the end, I thought it was interesting. The other day, last week, Larry Scott said, "Oh." USC really didn't deserve to be there, you know, uh, after the Washington State game. But that wasn't what he told us the, right before uh, the championship game kickoff where he was trying to make the case that, oh, absolutely, USC should be in the running if they beat you know, Stanford in the, in the championship game. So Larry's got to get his story straight, and unfortunately I'm not sure that's going to happen. <laughs> but, uh, Probably not. You know, it just isn't. You know, I mean, he's got a tough story to deal. You know, he, he, when you made, when you probably all the important decisions you've gotten them wrong, uh, it's a hard case to make uh, if you're you know running the Pac-12. But uh, man, oh man, this is uh, you know this is not something where where in the SEC being a part of the SEC or being a part of the Big Ten helps the teams that are part of that. I don't think being a part of the Pac-12 helps anybody in the Pac-12. You just got to help yourself. I mean, Washington, I think, opens the year uh, they play Auburn. That's where they got to help themselves. Uh, and 
One of the things that I think over the years, the Pac-12 has always played pretty decent schedules. And that's not happening anymore. Uh, The Pac-12 has kind of followed the lead. I I think uh, there are seven schools, for example, uh, this year that play not a single Power 5 non-conference opponent. And those are uh, in the Pac-12 South, Utah and uh, Arizona. Don't play a single uh, uh, Power 5 conference, uh, a non-conference opponent. But while USC is one of five schools that plays 11 Power 5 opponents, only five schools in the country, or six schools, I guess, in the country do that. Whereas uh, four of the seven who do not play any Power 5 opponents are in the Pac-12. So the Pac-12 has really gone the other way in recent years in terms of their scheduling philosophy. Oregon, for example, it looks like they have the worst non-conference schedule in the country. The three non-conference teams that Oregon plays uh, uh, had a record of 4-32 and 32 last year. So they play, you know, I'm not even... Portland State and, uh, boy, I'm trying to think who else, Bowling Green and somebody else. Uh, just awful, awful opponents uh, out, of the, out of conference. So Pac-12 is uh, not a place where you're going to help yourself all that much uh, other, than, other than by dominating. And then you got to win uh, your USC. Then you got to win, uh, you know, you got to beat Notre Dame and you got to beat Texas. Yeah. But that gives you the chance uh and you can make you know you can certainly make the case for it but only uh only dominating in the Pac-12 I think is is the is the way to go for USC and we haven't seen that we've seen I thought one stat I thought was I didn't even remember this last year USC was trailing in going into the fourth quarter in six games I don't think I remember that they were trailing six games. They were behind as you went into the third quarter because they were like the worst third quarter team in in college football. <laughs> I mean, they were just awful. And Clay, you know, I asked Clay about that, and he said, "Well, we were really good in the fourth quarter." I said, "You better be." And they did win four <laughs> of those six games. They won, you know, they came from behind, and, and but why did they have to come from behind against? You know, many of the teams on that schedule, they, they should not have had to had to do that. So that's the kind of stuff I think they really got to get get squared away this year. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Dan. And uh, specifically with fall camp starting later today. So it depends when people are listening. We're recording this uh, Friday morning, like 8 a.m. So fairly early Friday morning. I wanted to get it out to you and give you a chance to listen before Fall camp starts. It's closed to the public. We will still be there uh, covering the team. They'll have a Friday and a Saturday practice, then Sunday off. Then probably Monday is when the first time you'll see uh, shoulder pads come on this year. But, you know, everyone's talking about the quarterbacks. Uh, we can talk about that, too. But, you know, what what are you kind of looking forward to seeing this fall? And what's what's really kind of important to you that that's something important that USC needs to do uh, for fall camp to get ready for the season? You know, I think the quarterback thing is, I mean, they don't have much time. I mean, I think they, I, you know, if it were me, there would not be, uh, camp would not end in two weeks and, and go into a mock game week and then a game week. I, I don't, I don't think you need two 
you know, game week preparations for uh, UNLV or for the season. So, and the kids, when you talk to them, they really like the all-out competition and where it's just football and it's not so much game prep uh, of the camp. Uh, and I, we always, I always thought, for example, that's the best football we see USC play all year. When they just, you know, it's not, you know, going through you know, the uh, game plan and all that kind of thing, but it's just football. And uh, so, and I thought it was interesting. The one quote I thought was interesting from JT Daniels, who they must have gotten in uh, back in uh, back in May, I guess, when he was uh, technically still in high school, and they could talk to him. Uh, Joey Kaufman got a quote where he said, "I realize I'm going to have very little time to win the job," which is very perceptive when you think of first three days of practice are not in full pads. So that's really not exactly the same way, uh, you know, that you're going to play the games. And so then you've got the rest of the, the, the first two weeks. And then you go in, you know, mock game week. Well, when you get to mock game week, whether you've named the starter or not, you're kind of you know, going through the motions to some extent. And you don't have the same maybe ability to, to just flat out compete. So, so I think uh, I would like to see them can keep it as much like camp and as much like competition as I think Jack Sears you know called it all ball. We get the you know all ball uh, for for camp, and, and I'd like to keep it like that all season. I, you know, I, I I think one of the things we sometimes see is USC maybe spends an inordinate amount of time. Uh, getting ready for the other team. I think that was kind of a Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian way of doing things through their, you know, their quarter. They, both of them are quarterbacks, and, and now here comes Clay. He's another quarterback. And I think that's how quarterbacks get, you know, get ready for games. But I'm not sure that that works with the whole team. Uh, I think there, there are other ways, if you're an offensive or defensive lineman, that you get ready for games. And, uh, you know, for example, I, I short yardage situations are really important to your offense. But how often do we see them lining up, you know, at the goal line or any short yardage where they just bust it up in there and really, you know, you know, not a lot of times, not a lot of plays, but really a lot of physicality and a lot of just as live. This is like it's you know going to be in the game, and let's do it. And we don't see that as much as, as maybe we used to. I think that's really important. So uh, I'd like to see that. And I know, you know, Clay is saying the right things about uh, much more uh, 11 on 11, live team action, live bullets. Uh, he said he wants to, you know, and seeing it through the quarterback's eyes, which I think Clay does, he, wanted, he wants to see, the quarterbacks having to react to Porter Gustin in their face and all that kind of thing. I just like to see the whole team have to react to people in their face and people moving fast and people coming at you like it's a game situation and people in pants. And I think, uh, I think that's, that, that's what's going to, I think, determine this season. If they figure out how do we get game ready, how do we compete, all season, how do we push ourselves? How do we get better? 
How do we how do we have a team that's better by the end of the year than it is right now? That it keeps competing, keeps getting better, uh, keeps pushing itself, and the coaches keep pushing them. You know, I'll be interested in November if they uh, if they go to no pads. I mean, I, I think that's a that's a mistake. You know, I, I think you know I think you make some smart decisions about when you go no pads. But the idea that you know. Boy, if we can get to November, we can go no pass. No, that's that's not necessarily the way you want to go. I mean, that's kind of like uh, UCLA when they had the, uh, you know, under uh, poor Rick Neuhauser when they were jumping the fence, you know, so they didn't have to practice once they got to November. Uh, that's not that's not USC football, I don't think. No pass November is is not the way for USC to go. So. So that, that will be the thing I'm watching is just how hard do they push one another? How hard do they compete? Do they figure out how to do that? How much pressure do they put on, uh, put the, put the players under in practice so that they don't have to gear it up when it's game time. The game, the game time is, I mean, you will play what's a better, what better defense will the USC offense see than the USC defense? And, and if they can get ready to play against the USC defense, they got to be able to, you know, play against any defense they're going to play against this year. But that has to happen in practice. And uh, making it happen in practice, I think, is, is really, really important. It was the, you know, the genius for a while for Pete Carroll. It's what got them back, uh, what got USC back to the top. Is they had really good players. Better than they realized they had, I think. But they turned them into, you know, an absolutely great program because of the way they went about practice and the way they made one another better. Uh, and uh, and that was something that happened all year long, right up to the bowl game. And it's an attitude, and it's a it's just a way of looking at things. And uh, I'd sure like to see that uh, restored. Um, that I think you're. Your your uh, answer there, or you know what we were talking about, kind of led into uh, two of our first questions. Um, so I think it's uh, you were in tune with what the the fans want to hear about. Here's the first question about the quarterbacks and blitzing. Hey Ryan Curtis from Moreno Valley. I hear Clay Helton is going to throw live bullets at the quarterbacks. Uh, I think that going against one of the best defenses in the nation who like to blitz a lot every day in practice, we'll find out who can handle the pressure the best. It's not about who's the most accurate. You got to be able to handle a serious blitz coming at you and still be accurate against man coverage, tight man coverage, and zone. So let's see who's the toughest against the blitz because it's going to be coming what are your thoughts curtis in moreno valley yeah curtis i mean that is certainly what clay is saying uh i do think uh the way you handle the blitz is by being accurate and by you know able to uh you got to see the field i think that's uh so one of the things i think you'll you'll notice is who sees the field who sees uh, who's going to be open almost before they're open? You know, if it's a blitz, uh, you just have to 
you know, you just have to execute right through it. And, uh, and then you have to deliver the ball on time on target. And, uh, so yeah, the, and that's the hardest thing I think to do in practice is to simulate live bullets for quarterbacks. I mean, we found that a couple of years ago, they really weren't able to do that with Sam Darnold and Max Brown. Uh, when you got that yellow jersey on, they're not going to hit you. So uh, they tend to, you know, with the play breaks down a little bit, that's the end of the play. Well, as we found out, Sam made better plays when the play broke down, but he didn't get a chance to do that in practice uh, because practice didn't simulate real live game situations for Sam Darnold. So uh, the more you can do, you know, the genius, I think, of, of, of coaching any level, any sport, is the ability to get your players to the place that they're going to have to be in games. And, you know, the genius coaches know how to do that. And that's what separates, uh, you know, the great coaches from everybody else. Uh, so I do think the good news is the fact that you really do have, a, you know, a three-man quarterback uh, battle, if you want to call it, and that you really do have to figure out how that's going to go will force the defense uh, to be allowed to, to really go hard uh, because you do want to see who's going to adjust uh, uh, to it. But, uh, but again, I think they've got a defense that, uh, that could, you know, on paper, be better than any, you know, any defense they're going to face all year. So it's the perfect way to get this offense you know, ready and up to speed if they really go at it. And, and I do mean, like, if you're going to be run first, you have to really seriously uh, run your run offense. And you got to run it at short yardage situations. you got to run it to the point where you're not going to make mistakes and you're not going to penalize yourself. If you do that, that really makes it hard for a run-first offense. you gotta, you got to execute. Uh, you got to be pretty flawless uh, as a run-first offense and uh, can't, you know, you can't whiff any blocks. You can't, you know, run guys up in there where there's, uh, you know, there are a couple of extra defenders and at the point of attack. Then there are, you know, offensive people there. Uh, you got to, you know, you got to get your schemes right. You got to just have, you know, a lot of things that, that you really do know what you're doing and you've got to, you know, figure out how to get that done on the practice field. But, uh, but I, I do think having a defense like this will, really help you uh, figure out who, who that quarterback is. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, uh, you know, I don't think it has anything to do with uh, what class you are, what, you know, how old you are. It, it, it's, it's a lot of other things that uh, will determine. Uh, I think we've probably at the level, the level of coaching and the level of sophistication, the level of competition that quarterbacks are at now that are at the level of USC uh, being a freshman probably doesn't, you know, change that at all. If you've been, uh, you know, throwing the pros since you were in grade school, you're probably at a different place than say a quarterback would have been 10 or 15 years ago. And it, it's a different, as we've seen in the national championship game, you know, with a quarter, a freshman quarterback winning it for Alabama last year with a freshman quarterback the year before, uh, you know, getting Alabama, a different one, getting Alabama to the championship game with a freshman quarterback from Georgia, 
getting Georgia to you know a championship game this year. Uh, that doesn't matter, you know. Just the you know used to be I'm trying to think who it was. Maybe it was that was Daryl Royal or or Bear Bryant or whatever when freshmen became eligible. And the the story was you could figure out uh, for however many freshmen you're gonna you know start, you're gonna have a loss. So look at your lineup. And if you've got however many freshmen are in the lineup, that's how many losses you're going to have this year. Well, that's not the case anymore, I don't think. I mean, you know, you just play the best players, and uh, they're at a level, I think, of, of ability to handle what's coming their way that that, that was, was not the case. And, and I think, you know, JT Daniels, uh, the program he played at last year, had they been intact, that modern-day team probably would not be – at the bottom of the Pac-12 this year, just a guess. Uh, and so he's coming from a different place. So we'll see how that works out. But but uh, but I think you're onto something there, Curtis. Yeah, Curtis. And then Don also uh, touched on something or asked, is asking a question about something you touched on. He said, well, he wants to know, he has a few questions, I'll say. Over, under for fall practices and pads. Uh, maybe we'll start with that. He had a few quick ones, but. And then without pads, do you actually have competition in practice? Well, you do, but it's different. I mean, I think it probably doesn't impact, let's say, the cornerbacks and the wide receivers as much. Uh, I just think I don't know how you have full full day practices for the offense and defensive linemen not in pads that – impact them in the same way as uh, uh, if they are in pants. I just don't know. I mean, that doesn't mean you have to go, you know, an hour and 45 minutes for those guys in pants. But I just I don't know how you get that much better at your craft as an offensive lineman uh, in, in a practice where you don't have pants on. I just think it's uh, it, it makes it too much of a, uh, you know, kind of a walkthrough. Uh, type practice, uh, or, or, you know, it's like basketball a little bit. And, uh, so I, I, I you know, I, I just think football is made to, you know, you play in, in pads. And, uh, when you've got a full roster, which I see essentially has a full roster now, uh, I think you can, you, you just, you know, you, you practice it, uh, and, and there would be days where you don't have as much full pad action. But that doesn't mean you don't have have them on. And uh, I thought Yussi uh, was able to in the past. They they practice shorter practices, more intense, more competitive, uh, but but shorter. And you know you got to see the you know the ones against the ones uh, uh, maybe a little bit more. Not for a lot of plays, but enough that every day you were going to go against the best defensive lineman if you were an offensive lineman, and you had to you know bring your A game. And it also, I think, gives a chance for the guys that aren't the starters to compete. Uh, It's hard if you're out there not in pads. I think it's really hard if you're a backup to to beat that guy out in front of you if all you're doing is walking through stuff uh, as opposed to actually really, you know, running the offense the way it's going to be in a game. So, I think it, 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 you know, engenders more competition if you're in pads. And 
I cannot be a bad thing. I mean, you, know, you don't want to wear them out. You don't want them to leave their game on the practice field. But uh, you want it as close to, you know, real football, real game, uh, you know, pressure, real game physicality, real game tempo as it can be. And I don't know that it can be that yeah, if you're not in packs. It just, that, that's, that's the way, uh, that's how I look at it. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. Um, Jason in Longhorn country, so obviously he's in Texas, and uh, he's got a question about someone that's from Texas. Based on what you've seen, what in your estimation is holding Levi Jones from getting more playing time on defense? See, I'm not sure that's the right way to look at it. Uh, I think John Houston had a really bump up in his, uh, you know, ability. I mean, he was, you know, you know, and, and Cam Smith obviously, you know, has been playing since he's been a freshman and and was better from the first day than we ever thought he was going to be. So <clears throat> you've got, uh, uh, you know, and so that's basically. I don't know if Cam was a five star or a four star. I guess he was just below a five star. And John Houston was a five star and put on weight and, and really, uh, you know, he came a lot, a long way. I thought last year really started to, you know, feel at home. So to think that, you know, Levi, there's something wrong with Levi's game. I don't think that's the case at all. I mean, I, and I don't have that same sense that, uh, he didn't get where, where he's, uh, uh, you know, destined to be. I do think there's been a little bit of a, an issue uh, of trust in terms of all the guys who aren't starters uh, getting into the rotation. And I think that's got to change this year because there are just so, so many guys that really deserve to play. So I think they've really got to figure out the rotations. But, uh, but I, I don't know that that's on, on Levi. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's more on uh, they just, you know, and they, they hid so many games where it looked like they could have been in control. It looked like they should have been in control. And then something would happen and they take, you know, some plays off and they weren't in control. And so you, you know, were a little bit hesitant, uh, to maybe rotate as much as they should have rotated. But, uh, uh, but I have, you know, very high hopes through Levi and, uh, and think he's going to be, you know, a major factor, but, I mean, there are so there are so many linebackers. I mean, she may, I mean, you know, they hit a lot of linebackers, and then they recruited this class, and so uh, there's an awful lot of linebackers. So it's, it's not necessarily something you could say, well, uh, what's wrong with this guy? It's just there's a lot of there's a lot of guys that, that probably should be on the field. So uh, so I think, um, and it'll be nice to see uh, for Longhorn Country if we you know Levi. Uh, got a chance a little bit last year against Texas and made some plays, and I think uh, that'd be uh, that'll be fun to see uh, you know where Levi is game three uh, when they go to Austin. I know he'll certainly be uh, looking forward to going home, and uh, I think they USC you know will take advantage of that. But but I'm, I don't have any you know feelings that that Levi hasn't done what he needs to do or what he should do. Or isn't where he, uh, you know, where we expect him to be? Yeah, I do expect to see a lot more of him this year, but we shall see. It's one of those things we're going to watch in fall camp because there's a lot of linebackers, like Dan said. Um, wanted to thank 
Trader Joe's, before we continue on with these questions, we are still working on a uscfootball.com Trader Joe's event at or you know, on campus or next to campus at the, the USC Village uh, with no open practices. There wasn't going to be like a clear event. We could do something before or after a practice. I don't think it's going to really work out around Salute to Troy as well. That's like move-in time for students, so it might be kind of crazy. So we're going to work something out. It might be the week. Uh, leading up, you know, the week before this last week of like camp, I guess not camp, but the last week uh, leading up to the UNLV game, we're going to try to work something out because I know everyone loves those USC branded Trader Joe's bags. So we're going to try to have an event on campus or around it where we can give those away. And, you know, we've had former players come out. Last time we had Clay Helton come out and we did a live broadcast from there. It was all kind of fun stuff. So hopefully we'll do we're still planning something like that, but I want you to check out Trader Joe's. Uh, we love going, my wife and I love going to the one in Hermosa Beach right near our house. And I know, Dan, you love going to Trader Joe's as well. Yeah, the the one in Tustin. I was there the other day. So, uh, absolutely. I was wondering if, uh, and this, this is totally off the top of my head, uh, uh, if, you, if you went all the way to right before the, you know, the first game, uh, uh, would they ever let you do something uh, involved with, the, say, the jock rally uh, and maybe uh, encourage people to come out to the jock rally uh, on the Friday before the opener or whatever? Um, that might be, uh, if you were looking for an on-campus one, yeah. that might be the one uh, the one thing with the band and the cheerleaders and all the players and their, you know, their families. And uh, maybe there'd be a way uh, you could set something up that, uh, you know, on the plaza or whatever. Um, anyway, just a thought. That's a really interesting idea. So we'll have to, I'll check. Um, usually when you ask USC for permission for something, they say no, but we'll see. <laughs> but uh, we'll see. That's a good one. I'll, I'll run that by our, our people and uh, see. That would be great, though, Like because there'd be people there. Um, it would be yep. a reason for you know fans to come out, uh, you know, opening the season and hear, you know, hear some of the, the pep talk going on before, you know, the night before the game. So that would be a good one, Dan. We'll have to try that. Yeah, uh, and, and, and uh, it is interesting when you do get the nose and all that because I just saw that uh, if you if you noticed only one Pac-12 coach was uh, went to Bristol, David Shaw from Stanford. Yeah, uh, and and I was interesting. John Wilner of uh, uh, San Jose pointed out that they were all kind of invited and, and encouraged. And that David Shaw was the only one that that actually made the trip uh, uh, this week. Uh, so uh, I don't know about you know. You just wonder what the Pac-12 instincts are for uh, for you know getting involved with people outside and getting involved with things that you know promote the brand and all that. I, I just think that the instincts do not seem to be there. Um, you know the kind of things that. You know, whether you, you know, you like him or you didn't like it, whatever. Pete Carroll had those instincts, you know, in just overflowing amount of those kinds of instincts. And it doesn't look like, you know, you, you have that that much in the Pac-12 anymore. That, you know, from you know, inside the Pac-12 or, you know, administration or outside, you know, the different schools. I mean, I, I think the story came out of Arizona this week that uh, Arizona had the worst attendance in years and years in football last year. Okay. So they've got a Heisman trophy candidate, Khalil Tate and a brand new coach. And 
Khalil Tate is being kept off limits for the first nine practices. No one's allowed to talk to him. <laughs> and the new coach, Kevin Sumlin, is only going to be available for two practices of the nine. That's just, that's insane. I mean, are you kidding me? The people, how do you not try to promote your brand if you're in Tucson and you're trying and you've got something going for you? You got a new coach, you got a, a Heisman, you know, trophy candidate, uh, uh, quarterback, and you're not letting people talk to him. What's going on? I mean, it's just, I, I, I don't, I really don't get it uh, sometimes in the Pac-12. I mean, at least USC is in a kind of a different place and a really different place in L.A. this year since uh, people across town are trying to figure out what to do about UCLA because uh, Chip Kelly has brought in the, uh, you know, the typical college football coach mentality with uh, practice for clubs and availability is, is way cut down. So I know people are trying at UCLA trying to figure out, well, how exactly do we cover this team now? I mean, it's, they'll cover it the way people cover other teams around the country. <laughs> but, it, but it hasn't been that way in L.A. Huh? And I, we haven't heard much about that. Right. But that's going to be an interesting dynamic, the way that plays out uh, uh, between USC and UCLA. Yeah, because they start this morning, UCLA. So Friday morning, UCLA starts, USC starts 4 p.m. You know, so a week into camp, if you're hearing, if you're, you know, reading the LA Times or something and you're getting all these stories from USC and not much from UCLA, then you're like, hey, what's going on? But that's all about access. So it is weird when one school, you know, usually they both stay open because you, it's hard to compete with the other one if, they're, if you're closed and they're open. Right. And I think it's interesting that, you know, UCLA is not in school. They're, uh, you know, the quarter system, I, I, they aren't in school for uh, usually three weeks into the season. So uh, they've got the time. <laughs> it's not like they got, right. you know, going somewhere. But uh, uh, we'll see. I mean, you can do that in, a, you know, small college towns when you're totally in control. Uh, but uh, when you're in L.A. and you're, you know, the Chargers are here and the, Rams are here, and the Dodgers and the you know the Angels are going, and uh, you know LeBron's coming to the Lakers. I'm just not sure that's a good that's a strategy. Uh, you know that it's going to pay off. Uh, I wouldn't think. Let's uh, let's go to Mike in the Bay Area. He says, "Question for Dan. I heard Porter Gustin talking about having to get more food for the players and helping them with their nutrition plans. My question is, why is he having to do this?" Is there a lack of funding or just nobody there to handle this part of player development? I'm very happy he spoke up about this, and I'm guessing it was addressed and fixed permanently and not just a temporary fix for the summer. Thanks for all the content and hard work put in the website. There's always fight on. And uh, just I don't even know if you read this, Dan. So this morning in the war room, I put a little blurb in there as well that's probably not going to sit well with USC fans. Um you have to read it. go to the war room and you can read it. But uh, yeah, I, there's some real questions out there, Dan, and concerns about if Porter Gustin, why is he having to do this kind of stuff like like Mike is saying in his question? Well, yeah, I, I, and from what I understood, it was more a case of uh, not enough variety, that it wasn't interesting enough food for everybody uh, more than the quantity. I mean, I'm not sure they're going to be able to provide the 10,000 calories a day that, that Porter eats, um, uh, 
you know, who eats so much that he has to put it into a a smoothie because it just wears him out to do all that eating. But, uh, yeah. And, and yet, you know, when Clay talks about Andrea, uh, who's the, uh, football nutritionist, he can't say enough good things about her. And, you know, we've talked to her and, and, and she, you know, seems to be on, on top of things. Uh, but when you compare what USC does to some of the big boys in college football, you know, Alabama and Notre Dame and Michigan and Florida and Texas and what have you, probably not there. And, uh, I mean, I like it that you've got the players speaking up, that you've got people like, you know, Porter and Cameron Smith and those guys saying, this is our team and this is what we need and, and what have you. You wish they probably wouldn't have to do that, um, that that, you know, that's probably not not the best way, but USC's been, I think, a little bit behind the times, although Clay, I mean, flat out says nobody's got a better nutrition program. So whether, you know, that's after Porter or as a result of Porter, it doesn't look like they're uh, uh, they object to the fact that Porter is speaking up or that, you know, he's making his point and it does look like they try to react to it positively, but, but you're right. You wish, uh, it didn't have to go there. Uh, you know, USC's learning. I mean, it's, uh, it's changed so much so fast that, uh, uh, it's not always that easy for USC to keep up. I mean, USC, hasn't been, let's say, on the cutting edge of of college football, uh, you know, competitiveness since those early years with Pete when they made the big jump, and uh, and, and you know they you know, they they've been you know stagnated a little bit. The NCAA decisions, the roster limitations, they were you know in survival mode for a while. And so I'm just not sure that USC is quite aware of, and being in the Pac-12 hurts because the Pac-12 isn't in a place where Ohio State and, and, and Michigan are, where, uh, you know, the SEC schools are. And I don't think they quite understand, and whether it's right or wrong, to put out put a $15 million, you know, food uh, uh, place that Alabama has that, you know, might be the nicest restaurant in the state of Alabama uh, right now. Uh, I'm not sure USC quite understands, you know, all of what other people are doing. Is that right or wrong? I don't don't know, but, you know, this is the way the game's being played. And Porter probably shouldn't have to be doing anything uh, to make make it clear this is what we need, uh, you know, in the nutrition program. He, he, I mean, he should be a resource, but it ought to be a case of, I think, USC coming to the players and making sure they understand what the players need and what the players think as opposed to the players having to go to USC. Yeah, I agree with you there, Dan. And make sure, make sure everyone out there go check out the war room. It's uh, already, the thread's already pretty long uh just it's been only up for an hour or two um 
Earl in West LA had a question. I keep hearing incredible things about this 230 pound freshman running back from Indiana. He's talking about Marquis Step. Can you tell me a little about him? How has he performed at the PRPs? Well, he surprised me. Uh, when you see a kid six foot, two hundred thirty pounds, out of the Midwest, and uh, as a Midwesterner, um, uh, you know that's I'm a little prejudiced against them being maybe let's say quick footed, having really live feet. Uh, you think, okay, a power guy, you know. The thing he, Marquise, has shown me, and, 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 and I know he had some, you know, some limitations because of injuries, so you didn't see the stats, and you wonder uh, if what, the, what does that say, and, and you don't know. And again, you don't know what offense did they run and how did they use him. What we've seen is uh, he fits right in with the other three. They're all, you know, 215 or so, kind of uh, – multi-purpose backs who can catch it and, you know, run with power and, and get to the edge. What he's shown me is really good hands and really quick feet for a 230-pound guy. Uh, the ability to change directions, uh, the ability to, you know, be fairly nifty, uh, you know, with his footwork. And I wasn't expecting that. I, I just wasn't. I mean, you don't expect that with a 230-pounder. Uh so I think he's been a real uh, eye opener uh, this uh, uh, this summer, and uh, you know, congratulations to Delane, you know, McCullough, who who really uh, really liked Marquise, and uh, I think uh, he's a lot closer to getting on the field than I would have guessed. Uh, I just uh, I really like I like what I've seen of him a lot. We got a couple more. We'll try to get these quick and uh, let you go, Dan. Uh, Nick in Cyprus, uh, he said, he goes, my question is simple. I don't think it's really all that simple, Nick, but we'll, let's, let's talk about it. He says, can you give us five names that you look forward to either uh, being healthy or growing physically slash mentally and leading this team to a successful season in 2018? So like I guess five kind of key guys. Yeah, five or? five guys. Yeah, you you, you got to start with with Stephen Carr. I don't think it's that big a deal. Uh, you know, I don't think the the back surgery that they did was a uh, kind of a structural thing. You know, a, a you know a biomechanical sort of a thing that you might worry about with back. So obviously, I think you start with Stephen. I think the next one is Daniel Matra Baby. If he uh, he's uh, you know got he's loose. And he's pain-free uh, with that uh, that hip flexor. Uh, that changes a lot of things. I mean, that uh, I mean they've got to use those tight ends. But man, if if he's uh, uh, if he's ready to go, full go. I mean, they got a lot of guys that can play tight end uh, at this point. And he was a real threat two years ago. I mean, watch some of those games. Uh, the game at Washington, for example. Uh, you know, he was uh, he was a, a difference maker. And so, uh, so he'd be my, my second guy. I think my third guy would be Andrew Voorhees. He's had some stiff, uh, stiffness in his back, and he had, a, had a little knee issue where it was swelling up on him. So I, I would want both of those things to be, uh, uh, have him ready to go. Uh, Clay said he is, but, uh, but I think he's the key. I don't know that right now they have the kind of depth, uh, in the, um, uh, you know, at the offensive line where they could afford 
somebody not being there. And you want him to be healthy enough that he can be there at practice every day. You don't want him, you know, having to you know sit out practice because of a, a stiff back. I think they need to have all as all five guys in there and and working together and and getting their timing down and and that I think that's really important. Let's say after those three, uh, where do we go next? Uh, you want to do like would like Christian Rector with his broken hand like? I guess I, I'm not even sure he pays any attention to it. Uh, yeah. Uh, now I guess uh, I think Toa. I think Toa yeah, moving on. That's true. Just to be uh, uh, you know playing center. I mean he didn't. Uh, he you know they held him out of contact in the, in the spring. And he's had, you know, some significant issues, although last year he pretty much got through, uh, you know, clean as far as, uh, you know, injuries. He had the one uh, issue with um, he missed the Washington State game, and I'm trying to think. It was, uh, was that a staff infection or something like that? It was, it was just something, you know, out of the blue. Uh, but uh, he'd be number four. And let's see. Where did do we, we mention, go for number four? Did you talk about uh, Porter Gustin? That we, I guess, you know, he was out last you year. You know what? I don't. That's a. I mean, that's a good point. I don't even think of him. Right. I mean, when you think of how injured he was last year with the toe and the surgery <laughs> and coming back and the bicep and all, I don't even think of him when because you, you're around him and you th- you don't ever even think of him as being injured. No. But that's a really good point. Yeah. I mean. uh he looks like Superman, and uh, and but yeah, good point. I mean, that was almost kind of a one of those ones where when you do something like that to your your foot or your toe, it some of that is basically you did it to yourself because you have so much power, and you you know you can only build up you know your feet so much. I mean, it's not like you can you know do weightlifting that that builds up your your feet. So, uh, uh, I think, um, I think we got them. I think that's, that's the five right, right. there. And we got one last yeah. one. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, thanks Nick. And one last one from Tarek. Uh, does the PAC 12 falling behind in funds have anything to do with the quality of officiating? Seems that every year it gets worse. Uh, I wish you could make that connection, but I think they pay them same as they pay everybody else. I, I think, uh, um, no, I think that's pretty standardized across the country. Uh, and you don't have the ability, for example, the NFL might harm, uh, but no college conference is going to be able to pay, yeah. you know, what the NFL pays. And so, and, and there isn't anybody coming in and stealing PAC 12 officials for say the big 12 or whatever. So, uh, so I don't think it's a it's a dollar and cents amount. I think the uh, uh, the Pac-12 has always uh, paid the you know the, the the going rate. I know they move it around a little bit in terms of uh, I know with basketball they were experimenting where <clears throat> they would give you a set amount and you would do your own travel out of that. And, and there are other years where they would pay you according so much a game, and then also pay for your travel and hotels and all that. So I know that they've done some different they've done some different ways of uh, of you know uh, of paying officials, but I don't think the Pac-12 falls. Uh, let's face it, the Pac-12 pays everybody. Yeah. <laughs> they just don't get paid. 
the same amount as everybody else, but they do pay. Uh, and so, no, I don't think that's uh, that's the problem. I think Pac-12 was more impacted by um, by uh, I don't kind of politics of you know from this state or that state, and and and, and guys just didn't seem to to get any better. And the young officials, all the you know the good young officials in the western part of the country weren't able to uh, get into the Pac-12 for years. And so they went other places and some of them would, you know, go to the NFL because they couldn't get into the Pac-12. But uh, I don't know that the Pac-12 was as aggressive in going uh, out and finding the best officials in the WAC and the Mountain West and, and recruiting those guys. And uh, uh, I think I think they're doing a better job. I like uh, David Coleman, the, the head of the Pac-12 officials. I think he's a good guy, and I think he's really trying. Uh, I think the culture is such that it's still uh, still a little difficult. I mean, uh, it, it's just you know, and I you wish you could figure out. I mean, I I got to know uh, in in previous uh, you know lives uh, the uh, Big Ten officials and uh, SEC officials, and got involved with how they did things, and for some reason. Those two conferences, those officials just seemed more comfortable being officials and more comfortable in crowds and more comfortable under pressure and more comfortable looking at what they were doing. And the Pac-12 seems a little bit more under pressure, the officials do, in terms of getting things right or making calls that, I mean, we've seen it for years where you know, it's easier to make a call against USC for some reason. That's not the case. In the Big Ten, it's not easier to make a call against Ohio State or Michigan. In the SEC, it's not easier to make a call against Alabama or Georgia. In the the Pac-12, for some reason, it was easier to make a call against USC. I don't know why, but it was a difference. And uh, you tell me. I I, I seen it, and I don't know, but yeah. uh, but I don't think it's money. But it, it's it, it's been a culture that that has just built up over the years. You uh, the Pac-12 did lose Land Clark to the NFL, so there was a, I think there was a list of like eight or so NCAA officials that uh, the NFL hired away. Only one from the Pac-12, so it was Land Clark, who seemed like you know kind of a buttoned up. You know, fairly professional guy. I don't know what you thought of Land, but it, you know. Yeah, no, I think so. He was. A, he looks like he was a guy on his way to the NFL. Yeah, they've, they've actually lost a. I mean, one of the problems is the NFL is good at coming in. If you get a good young guy, uh, especially a referee, uh, he isn't going to be long in the Pac-12. The NFL will harm, and uh, and that's been kind of a you know kind of a problem. And maybe you know you don't have the depth of. Of officiating, yeah. I I don't know, but but um, if you're terrible, Dan, they'll keep you. That's what's good, right? You <laughs> yeah, get the to NFL isn't going to touch you. Yeah, no. the NFL won't won't touch you. Uh, I will say this: the Pac-12 does look like it has more guys who probably haven't played football in their lives. Uh, you do get guys that just don't quite look like they're ex-football players, and that wasn't the case. The Big Ten, and the SEC. Most of those guys look like they uh, they played football. I don't know if there's that famous uh, 
uh, play where the a former Kentucky linebacker was a, a umpire, and I'm trying to think what what somebody maybe from Alabama guy came across uh, in the middle, and he just decked him. I mean, he just knocked him, you know, just knocked him flat out down. That wouldn't happen probably in the Pac-12. Uh, you do have guys that look like they're having a, maybe a little trouble keeping up with the physicality uh, and the speed of the game at times. And, uh, and you didn't notice that as much uh, in other places that I've been where you looked at a guy and you say, gee, I wonder how he got out there. What, <laughs> what, what's exactly going on here? But uh, not as much. It's better. But the first years I was out here, it did make you wonder how in the world is that guy, you know did that guy get there, and um, you know, yeah, and, and, and it was an issue. For example, I think for a while there were two referees from California with what almost forty million people, and two referees from Oregon with like four million people, and you just wondered, huh? Oregon has got the same number of guys in the White Hats as California does. Huh. I don't know if that makes sense. And, well, of course it doesn't, but that's how it was. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Well, we'll see. We get to complain about the officials, do all kinds of fun stuff in just a few weeks when the season starts. So, uh, Dan, great stuff. Uh, looking forward to see you out there at practice today. Going to practice today. We'll see you out there later this afternoon. Yeah, that's the that is the fun part for us, and and it is makes you know you can't complain when you get to go to practice. I mean, it, that's what this is all about. It's what it's all about for the coaches and the players, and for us, and, and that, that we get to do it is uh, really cool. And you do uh, you do see a lot of things, and you get a you know you get a sense, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, you know we'll be able to pick up on that right away for everybody. And uh, what we try to do is is uh the public's not allowed but you know we try to bring you along with us so that the the approach is we're having you standing next to us and you're seeing what we're seeing and you're hearing what we're hearing and you're feeling what we're feeling and so we're trying to be uh your eyes and ears and 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 give you a sense of uh of being present at practice and i know this i try to try to allow you to see it through my eyes but also give you the space so that you can make some of your own judgments. Uh, and, and I'm not going to try to make all your judgments for you. I want to let you see what I see, and then you come up with your own conclusions uh, as best uh, as best we can do that. And so, uh, so that's why it is so good for us to be able to be at practice and allow you to you know come along with us and see it through our our eyes. Yeah, that's uh, that's the goal, and uh, you you got to go on to the Peristyle after practice. Read Dan's ghost notes. We'll have tons of video, and we'll do more podcasts, but lots of stories and interviews uh, coming from USC practice. So, Dan, looking forward to that. Make sure you check out Dan's work over on uscfootball.com. I'll be there as well. Without the with with the entire team, we'll be out there bringing you exclusive coverage of USC fall camp. Exclusive in a way that only way we can do it, because that's what we do at uscfootball.com. But uh, thanks to Dan, and thank you all for listening to the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. 
People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.